Hello, everyone, and welcome. With me today is Mike Novokowski. He's the CEO of EV Construction, and he's been a CEO and entrepreneur for over 30 years. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Jennifer. Glad to be here. Now, um, a little bit more about you before we begin. I understand that you're in a, a three-year Harvard Business School uh, senior leadership program. Yes, in fact, I finished that up uh, just before COVID ended, actually, and it was an unbelievable journey where, you know, I got to spend time uh, three years on campus uh, to uh, earn a uh, ability to graduate and walk across the stage, and uh, some of those people there are just incredibly talented. I mean, when you have a professor that actually people stand and applaud at the end of their uh, session, it, that's pretty amazing. That's fun. That's fun. Plus, it's Harvard. I mean, you can't go wrong with Harvard, right? <laughs> now, you've been um, in the best and brightest companies work for a program for quite some time. You've been a winner for 14 consecutive years. I know you've won at the national level. You're a multiple year elite winner. Um, it's just incredible what you've done with your organization. And uh, we're just so grateful to have you today. Well, thank you. And I, you know, I owe so much to the best and brightest program. I'm um, I am a, a huge advocate, raving fan, and anybody that's ever considered uh, whether they should uh, put themselves into that program or not, I, I urge them to, to jump in, uh, you know, head first. Well, thank you. Thank you. We, I know we've all learned a lot over the years through this program, and you've been so gracious to share your knowledge. And that's one of the reasons why we're, we're bringing you on today. Uh, for this live is to talk a little bit about some of that knowledge so that you can share with others. But before we begin, tell us a little bit about EV construction. Uh, what kind of work do you do? What industries do you take the work on? Tell us a little bit more in, in detail. Sorry, I lost you for a second there with audio. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're a 75, actually 77-year-old contractor who really uh, grew out of a design-build post-World War II uh, working on the lakeshore in Holland, Michigan for uh, a good part of our existence. And about 15 years ago, uh, and I'll give credit to the best and brightest, we were able to expand significantly in our talent pool to serve people nationally. And what was once uh, a regional operation out of Holland that we might have served the state of Michigan, we're now in probably 18 to 25 states a year. And our work outside of the state uh, is two times that of the in-state. In, in we do a lot of healthcare, senior living, we do the traditional commercial construction, industrial construction. We have a lot of clients that have you know, hundreds of facilities that we now are being brought uh, with them as their key partner throughout the states because they, they see that we're showing up in a much different way than most of our counterparts. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on your growth. And I have a feeling it has a lot to do with you. Hello. <laughs> So uh, give us some insights. You, you know, this industry that you are in has been hit uh, rather hard by supply chain issues during the pandemic. Uh, it's what I call one of the leading uh, industries to tell the rest of us what to expect over the next few months. Tell us what's going on right now and what would you caution other CEOs about industry conditions or how is it going? Well, you know, for those who are thinking about capital programs, uh, big spends, obviously interest rates are going up. That's a challenge. Uh, we had certain materials in our industry that have gone up 100% in one year. Uh, and that's really hard because we have pre-construction service department that basically will take the project that you want built, and we'll put numbers on it, and it might take you six months before you break ground, and our numbers can be significantly off now. So 
you know, it's it's uh, take advantage of the work as quickly as you can get in the ground is one thing. But then on the other hand, what used to take eight to 12 weeks to get structural steel for buildings now can be eight to 12 months. Uh, people like Amazon fulfillment centers who are building these multi-million square foot facilities and they're building dozens of them have bought up all the capacity in the steel plants. So we're, we're left to you know, fend for our own uh, projects through mom and pop steel shops and things. So it's getting really complex. Um, the other thing that's really just uh, exacerbated based on you know current economic conditions is we already had an issue with labor in the construction industry. You know, the, the skilled trades, the people that knew how to do this beautiful work, these, these craftsmen are retiring at a very fast rate. The baby boomers are, are uh, you know, ending their careers and we do not have the young uh, people interested in coming in the trade. So we're kind of getting hit with um, a, a great impact on material costs and also, as most people, we're, we're struggling with labor to just find the talent. So today, um, I don't think our company is anywhere near in the same trouble as others. Because of the way we've run our company, we've built a culture, um, the recruitment's a lot easier for us and we've got great retention. And that is an absolute lifesaver today. If I didn't have that ability to attract people for more than just wages, um, I think I would have a lot of sleepless nights right now. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's definitely been challenging specifically for your industry. How are you handling um, the increase in prices and retention? Like if, if there was a young entrepreneur going into this industry right now, how would you tell them how to handle those two scenarios? Well, you know, one of the things that we're doing is giving estimates that are based on like they're not good for more than five or 10 days. And we used to say, hey, you know, here's an estimate and this will get you by this year. Uh, so one of the things, you know, it's just mitigating risk through making sure that people know just how erratic the pricing is and how it's going up and down, mostly up on a daily basis. So we're trying to protect against that. And then from a labor perspective, um, you know, we've again, we've been really blessed that. Um, in fact, we just met this morning, my executive team, and we talked about two project managers that had left for greener pastures six months to a year ago. Uh, they were poached, they were offered some great deal, and they both in the last week and a half have both uh, wanted to come back. Nice. So the pastures were greener dollar-wise, <laughs> but the rest of it was horrible. Uh, they talked about, you know, I, I flew all the way out to California to the home office, and we met for two hours and then they just left me. I went back to my hotel. Nobody went out for drinks. Nobody asked me any personal questions. I was yeah. just a number. And I go, that that's that is so incredibly important. Who we are, how we operate will help mitigate the the labor risk that we have as we're as we're growing our business. But that new entrepreneur, um, you know, you can't just get the work and then find anybody to run it. Um, it has to be really well thought out. We're in this kind of a, a plateau kind of a business, and we we grow, 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 and then we realize we are not we're not we're growing a little faster than we can out of you know our our process our operations. We've got to fix the things that aren't quite right, and we'll intentionally plateau for a year or so, not take on, not grow the, the top line or bottom line, so that we can get that all of our um, Achilles heels kind of addressed, and then we'll take it to the next level. So many startup entrepreneurs, they want to just go, oh my gosh, I got one house, I got three houses, now I got 20, and it's just me, and this one guy that I found who wants to work for me, and, and then they, they burn, you know, they crash and burn and fail, so I, I think there's 
there's a there's an abundance of work opportunity there's abundance of projects but we have to learn to say no um, we use a uh, the statement I always say is if we can't flawlessly execute a project you know relatively speaking we're not going to take it on so we are saying no to projects right now it, that's really hard for an entrepreneur too because you want to say yes that that's tough stuff Let's dive into a little bit more about how you develop these bonds uh, with your team and within your culture. And, you know, you were a speaker at several of our um, uh, in-person events before the pandemic. And there was one story you told us, and I know you need to give us the hybrid uh, or, or shorter version of it, um, about what you talked about an exercise with your team leaders about a lifeline can you give us the gist of that but more importantly what did it do what was the impact of that sure no i love i love sharing that story so the lifeline exercise is really a uh, an opportunity to go deeper uh building trust through vulnerability and so what you do is you take a, a cardboard, you know, a poster board, like maybe 18 by 24 or something. You draw a line right down the center of it. You put your earliest memory on, on the left side of the bar. And on the right side, you put your current age. Above the line, the, the top half of the page, uh, chronologically, you list all the great things that have happened in your life, all the milestone events, you know, when you got married, your first kiss, your first car, your graduation, your wedding, your children's birth, all these wonderful things, right? But then below the line, the thing that we hide from the world are all the tragedies that we suffered through along the way. Um, and so the lifeline exercise for me was, um, I, I decided I was gonna do it at an executive level retreat. And so I had my executive team, there were four of us at the time, we rented a condo, um, we went there, we wanted to stay overnight, we were doing some business planning, but that night I said, I wanna go deep. I wanna get to know you people better and I want you to know me better. And so I, I introduced the lifeline and gave them a description of what it's supposed to look like. I gave them about an hour to fill it all out. And there's a lot. I mean, if you want to put your whole history on a piece of paper and you do it thoroughly, it could take days, right? Anyway, I gave them an hour and I decided to go first because what I learned was um, I will set the tone for how deep everybody will go. So I was going to put myself out there and go vulnerable. So I, I put my lifeline, it's really colorful and it's got all kinds of like little sketches and drawings and things. And, and so I start walking from the day I was five years old, my first memory of finding a buffalo head nickel in this dry lot, all the way till I think at that time I was 40 years old or 45, something like that. Anyway, I, I paused when I was 13 and I told a story about um, my, my younger brother who was 11 and I and a friend and we went swimming in this pool at night in the summer and we were coming back to have a sleepover at my house. My friend crossed the street first, my brother crossed second, and I watched him get hit by a car and got thrown off. The bike was crushed. He laid in the streets, a broken, a broken body, and a day or two later was pulled off of life support. And I started to relive that experience uh, in front of this group of, of uh, peers, my executive team. Um, I, was, I was tearful. I was having a lot of struggle with it. Um, and what I shared was from that moment forward at 13 years old, I was convinced that I disappointed my mom and dad. I lost my brother on their watch. And I would, I, by golly, I'm going to do everything possible to make them proud of me. I will never fail. And that put me on a track as a leader that first to go to college in our family, first to get a good job, first to climb the corporate ladder, take on an officer's role. And I told my guys as I was giving them the story, and they're like, oh my gosh, no wonder Mike's the way he is. Like he took this trauma as a child 
and it started to define who he was as a man and as a leader. And I, I didn't learn any of that until I was probably, you know, 35 years old when I started to do some therapy work around it. But the cool thing was I spent my 20 minutes going over my lifeline. When I got done, I said, all right, who wants to go next? And they're like, can we have a little bit more time? I go, well, what? And I, what I didn't understand was they did their lifeline like high level, news, sports, weather, all the fun stuff we just talk about freely with people. And they saw me share really deep. And they decided they needed to flesh out their map, uh, their lifeline, uh, much more detail. So um, in, in the end of that story is uh, one of those executives is my youngest brother, who's 12 years younger than me. And he was an exec at that retreat. And he looked at me afterwards and he says, obviously, I've known you my whole life. So I have no idea who you were and why you were the way you were. This is my own flesh and blood who I'm working alongside for at least 10 years at that point. And so when I think about how we connect to the leadership, to the important people in our organizations, we just take the new sports and weather approach. You barely know their spouses and their kids' names. You don't really care that much about what's going on on the weekends, much less the traumas or the excitements in their life. So I think that that began a journey of really going deep and building trust through vulnerability which has had a huge impact on retention. Um, it's put people into this actively, highly actively engaged position in our company, which leads to bottom line, uh, happy clients, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're all people first. We're all people first. And, and what was the result of that exercise? You know, when they came back and they shared deep with you, um, did you notice it right away? So, so anybody watching right now, um, if they wanted to do something similar, you know, how, how long does that take? And it's not a one and done approach either. Well, I mean, my, my guys were ready and they did theirs and there, every single one of the four of us, when we share a lifeline, there was a point in there where the person presenting had to stop and, and kind of gather their emotions, like getting, you know, tearful and, and just, you know, it's okay to cry in public. It's okay. Like, but we did that. And, and, what we learned was it was so incredibly powerful. We wanted to code the rest of our business like that. And we went right into a retreat, I think that fall or maybe that next spring with a group of field leaders, field superintendents, field managers, and our executive team and did a similar um, deep dive, not a lifeline, a different, a different uh, uh, activity. But it, it also led to people hugging each other the next day and saying, now get, the, you know, two say 50 year old male construction workers <laughs> hugging each other at the end of a day and a half session saying, I love you. I'm like, what? Yeah. How does a couple of contractors, a couple of construction guys end up in that boat? But I, we have such rich relationships today. Yeah. Um, you know, I get a lot of joy from my work hours that most people are just counting the Mondays till they retire. I don't, I have no idea when I'm going to retire. Well, you know, you, you're in an industry. It's a, it's, the stereotype is gritty and tough. And I know you're tough too. And, um, but you're very vulnerable and you're very transparent. And, and usually people don't see um, that transparency as a strength. Most people see it as a weakness, especially men in the workplace. Um, how has that vulnerability and sharing the vulnerability in, in your industry and um, you're known to be tough and you're in a tough industry. How has that made you a better leader? And how have you seen other people become better leaders by, by showing their vulnerability and, and, and developing trust through that? 
Yeah, I mean, you're you mentioned uh, we're people first. You know, we're we're individuals. And I, I think about you know when we get together with our friends and family on weekends, and we're you had know, a Fourth of July picnic, or whatever. It's all about telling the jokes and making fun of each other and sarcasm and all these different things that that people kind of get vulnerable and, and lively and have great uh, relationships. When we get to work, we have this stoic, you know, I, I'm not supposed to show any emotion here. Uh, I'm not supposed to care too deeply. I can't say anything. Jennifer, your hair looks great today because it might be inappropriate or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but I look at my vulnerability and I think the biggest thing it did was it leveled the field of human beings, human doing things together. Right. And instead of Mike, the CEO in an ivory tower, it's Mike who just admitted that he got pulled over speeding. And that's why he's late for work. And they're like, oh, he didn't have to share that, but he did. Yeah. Um, and so when I share Probably like that, too many of those tickets. Speeding well, <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I didn't get the ticket. I got pulled over. But, um, but, but the point the point is that um, when I'm willing to truly share who I am, Others follow suit and it takes away the title. It takes away the fear. I remember I had a guy when I was maybe a 20-year veteran and I was a president and another 20-year veteran that we started together, worked in our fab shop, Kevin, and he still was nervous to come into my office and talk to me. I'm like, dude, we have worked in this company. We almost started the same day. It's just me, Mike, and you're Kevin. I have this job. You have that one. Together, we're going to do great things. And yeah. so whenever I... Uh, make myself vulnerable. I become approachable, relatable, and not scary. Now my message isn't I'm ruling from above. I'm coming right. out like Moses with the Ten Commandments. Instead, I'm just sitting there with throwing out ideas and building upon it, and we all collectively go forward at the same level almost. And so I think flattening out that that company of you know a couple hundred people. And, and Mike's not any more special than the next guy. He puts his pants on the same way, whatever, uh, or gal. Um, you know, I, I just think it makes it life a lot easier and a lot less scary. Well, and I think that goes to your retention that you've had despite the industry that you're in and despite the pandemic. Um, that goes hand in hand. And I wanted to, to dive deeper into that because of how good you do things and your organization, I think it's important for others to know that so that they can do the same thing within their, their cultures and their organizations. There's been a lot of struggles um, lately when we survey uh, CEOs of the best and brightest, a lot of struggles around hybrid, hybrid work, cultures with hybrid work, subcultures where some team members are in person, some team members are um, on site, in person, some team members are remote, um, schedules, subcultures because of that, and there's this group and that group. And um, have you had any experience with any of those issues at EV Construction, or um, are you all in person? Are some hybrid? Tell us a little bit about that and, and the digital culture that you're creating, if you are. I, you know, I am all about physical energy exchange, like being together. And, I, and as much as a, a lot of my peers and, and different owners that we work for decided to go remote, and in some cases have decided to stay remote with a great, great percentage of the workforce, I honestly, I feel sorry. I feel bad for them because I, I look at these people who are journeying through their life in this career, wherever it is, now they're doing it alone in their office. Sure, they can walk the dog when they want and they have this flexibility, but I think that there's a mental health 
uh, social and mental, um, emotional well-being that people haven't seen yet. And it's not going to come out for a number of years where uh, people are going to retire earlier because they, they don't have job satisfaction. They don't have the relationships. So their you know, emotional well-being is going to be different. Um, so our company, you know, we, we abided by the rules and we socially distanced. We worked remotely when we could. But as soon as we could, you know, um, find that line of that crack where we could get back together, we did. Um, that's not to say that we don't still have some remote, but our remote people today um, are actually because uh, we've grown nationally and in order to find the best talent, instead of forcing people to come to West Michigan to move their, their family and everything, we've said it's fine for you to work from where you are. Um, I don't think those people are going to be as closely connected to our company as the rest of the individuals. I, I feel like they're going to get um, 60% of our culture. That's it. They can't come over for a, a holiday party or for a, a quarterly meeting or something and really develop the relationships and feel the energy. There's nothing like that. Bumping into another person at the water cooler and having a conversation about something that leads to, a, instead of a three-minute conversation, a 20-minute conversation, right? Um, those yeah. don't actually happen. So although there's plenty of opportunity for us to uh, use technology. For instance, we do um, municipality meetings, you know, rezoning meetings. And we used to go there and sit in the room and listen to all the other stuff. And then our project came up and, you know, now it's like, hey, you can join via Zoom. It's like, all right, I can be eating dinner, stop there for 20 minutes. There are some minutes. advantages, there are some advantages. And, and I, would, I would just say that is our challenge moving forward as CEOs is finding a way to engage those remote people and being creative and using ingenuity. I know we just published a, um, a digital and hybrid team bonding guide uh, to help with that and people sharing best practices, but that is the next big challenge. Um, but let's shift gears. Let's talk about um, engagement and retention. We talked a lot about engagement and your style for doing that and, and retention. Um, outside of transparency and tr building trust, what other tools are you using for uh, recruitment, retention, and engagement? Um, I'll start with engagement. Um, I think there's a lot of people that um, come into work, they punch the clock, they do their job, and they go home. And that's all they expect to do. So I look at a carpenter and they're, they're just thinking they're going to go and trim, do trim work on a building all day long. And I go, that to me, I'm sure there's engagement there, but I think they're missing out in a larger, a larger purpose in developing the corporation. And so we like to take people out of their normal job and put them in the new job. So for instance, with Best and Brightest, we have all these categories by which we're judged. We built committees around each category and we challenge these people from all aspects of our company. It might be a brand new laborer, it might be an accounting person, it might be a project manager. They're on that committee and they're talking and collaborating around how we do even better next year. Um, we have a leadership council. So we took five leaders in our field. We took five leaders who are not typical officers in our office. Each of those has their own agenda to push and grow the company. And then we have um, our executive committee. Those three groups make up our leadership council. Um, we look at all these different op opportunities to engage people who would typically think they're just going to come into work and hang drywall or paint or do carpentry. And so I liken that to back when we were kids, we'd go to school every day. It'd be a grind. 
we didn't want to go to class, but then there was that one day where they turn off the lights and they put a film strip or had a movie on. And we're like, yes. And then there was the day where we went to the nature center and we had a you know a field trip. Yes. And I go, where are the film strips and field trips in our business lives? That will create engagement, that will create retention. Um, and the recruiting becomes what are the stories that are told that draw the people in? You know, when we when we decided we were gonna do our hall pass event and I, I've spoke to that you know it was me realizing I was, I was driving I have twins when I took them to college I took a whole two days off to take them to college and get them all set up in the rooms and come back I had the benefit as a CEO but I go what about all of our people who have limited amount of you know vacation time I go so we give we give uh, each employee a one-day hall pass every year to just do things that to show up for their children who are in school might be reading a book at preschool or whatever um, so I can share 25 unique stories that EV does to a potential candidate to, to bring them here. And they're like, I've never heard that before. Uh, that sounds like something I'm very interested in. But if you're just going to offer a commodity job at another manufacturer and you don't have any, I mean, you can talk about health insurance and all these things, but I'm telling you, it's the unique value propositions that, that we're coming up with that give the people, you know, like they're excited to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, I bet your twins had the best loft ever, if I know you. Right. <laughs> and all their other friends down the hall were like, where'd you get that loft? Dad's <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. An another issue that we're hearing uh, from CEOs on is this whole issue with compensation models, work from anywhere. You mentioned you have some remote employees in other states. Um, we're hearing in some of our, our roundtables and discussion groups that people are struggling with figuring out. There was one company, I'm not going to mention the name, but they changed their compensation model three times trying to figure out how to um, pay people that were either in California or in Chicago or in Detroit and is is the pay for the job or is the pay for what state they're in and do they do cost of living adjustments for it and so let's say um, you're in you're in West Michigan let's say you have a West Michigan employee and they move to California uh, a lot of companies are saying do I increase their salary because they moved to California or the job's the job and then what if a California employee comes over to West Michigan do you lower their salary so there's been all kinds of stuff related to that and compensation in general um, inflation rates all of that what are your thoughts as it relates to compensation right now well you know I, I believe when you look at the the top 10 reasons why an employee leaves uh, compensations, what, I don't know, six, eighth, something like that. It's, it's towards the bottom of the list. And so we work really hard on the first six or seven items, and then that compensation doesn't become an issue. Now, um, I hire people from all over the country to run projects anywhere in the country. So really, we stick to pretty much a, a pretty defined range. So for instance, a senior field manager who's going to run a job for us in any state is paid pretty much the same no matter what state they live in. Um, what we've learned is we don't really have to adjust wages a lot because we still have people accepting our offers based on what we have. Maybe some of that is a story I can tell them about who we are, how we show up for them, how, they're, yeah. how we're employee-centric, and maybe they're willing to come in for a little less than, than uh, they might uh, have otherwise. But um, you know, right now, the, the idea of uh, a retention bonus horrifies me to go, 
we don't want you to leave. Here's a big chunk of money just to make you happy. I go, that's what you have to do to keep a person. Then there may be more trouble. And again, the, the long game is culture building, because I think once they can't imagine life outside of your company, then then pay doesn't become an issue. Um, you know, we wrote a book that literally talks about our company and we have a prospective new employee who lives in California making X. And we said in the book, oh, this is who we are. You can ask anybody. And they're like, I'm in. So it's not always about money. I agree with you. And and so many um, think that's what it's about. And and there's what we're hearing is a lot of small businesses can't compete on these compensation models right now and everything happening. What we are advising people and what you just said is to to identify who you are, team up with your marketing departments, put that in a book, put it in a marketing piece and say, this is us. You're not going to drive uh, expensive cars, but here's our culture. Here's how we'll treat you. Here's the difference that you'll make. Um, this is what we do. These are the types of construction projects that we do that impact people. And this is who we are. And, and so people are leaving with that. So there are good things happening. It's forcing people to really look at their cultures and say, this is us. It's putting a mirror in front of everyone's face and say, is this a win for you? Because this is who we are. This is the well, this is the suit that we're wearing. Right, and I, I think that's the issue is it used to be, tell me why we should hire you. Because maybe <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was, was a, 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 um, an owner's market, if you will, and now it's an employee's market. Uh, but I don't think that's gonna change anytime soon. I think we're gonna see a continued labor shortage. And I think each employer has to have its own unique story that's different from its competition. If you're interviewing somebody and you can't tell them a half a dozen things that your company does that's unique, that stands out, that's unexpected, then you're just hiring based on wages. So I go, I'd rather, I get a lot of joy figuring out how we're going to show up in a unique way for our people versus, oh, geez, I'm going to wreck my hands some more around how much more I think I might have to offer somebody to come to work for us. I go, that, that's counterintuitive to me, but there is that desperation. I need people tomorrow. I just... I don't have time for culture. I just got to pay them more and get them here. Like I'm drowning. I'll take anything to keep me my head above water. And that's the desperation. That's, that's why I say that the culture is the long play, the long game. Um, that I think pays, it's paying off in great dividends now. And to add to that, everybody is busy right now. So that's another another education for our teams everywhere you go everybody is swamped everyone's busy everyone's quote-unquote short-staffed or running lean it's just the way of the world right now um and making sure you hit home on what you are and what you're about um so here's another fun thing i i want you to share with everyone um because of your strong culture and because of the data that you received um going through the best and brightest Companies work for a program and what you learned on that journey. Uh, a new business was started uh, that you were very involved with called Become Unmistakable. We've endorsed uh, some of Become Unmistakable's products. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But tell us about that journey and how it's evolved. Well, you know, what happened was uh, when we started Best and Brightest, we, we found from that first report that we had so much we could do to get better. We got we got good I guess good ratings good good ranking we made it to the, at that time the 101 and we were proud but after that it became that's not good enough 
we want to be like, we want to be an elite award winner. And it was like, every year I want to be an elite award winner. The only way that we're worthy of that is to be elite in the way we do our, our business, right? And so we started to push to get really creative on how to solve problems in a unique way. Well, we did start figuring out and we started having different leadership groups asking us if they could come in and interview us and listen to our philosophy around employee engagement and retention and all these kinds of things. And so on a weekly basis, I was spending two to three, four hours sometimes just giving away our secrets, right? Or, or sharing our special sauce to the point where we had a, a strategic planning session uh, three years strategic planning, we said, you know what, Mike's getting taken away way too much, these four or five hours, whatever a week, uh, we just need to write a book, write it all down, and then put it out there, and then, then we can get back to building stuff. Well, that became the issue as is we put it out there, and then a lot more people got interested uh, to the point where some of the tools that we had uh, developed in-house, one called UMapping, um, we ended up creating a consulting company, creating leadership training, creating the software for it, and changing the world through like right brain, these emotional, artistic, um, uh, more um, uh, relationally based business. And it's just taken off. I mean, we've done some amazing things in the last five or six years with that, but it, it all came from us just best practices, sharing it, then having enough, enough best practices that we could put it in a book. I thought, wow, that's, that is pretty cool. I never, never planned on writing a book, but we did that and now we're sharing that um, and we've monetized it. That's even better. Good for you. Good for you. And, and you are building things. You're building people, which yeah. is fantastic. So let's talk about that because uh, one of the areas uh, we've been hitting home on on our surveys is people hate, hate performance reviews. Uh, employees hate receiving them and supervisors hate giving them. They are a, a time. Um, uh, just consumes a lot of time. So what we did is we put out this concept and we make our recommendations for the leaders of the best and brightest each year and say, here's what we recommend. And we've always put that on there. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we've endorsed the UMAP is because it's more about a crucial conversation and talking as human to human versus you're a four out of five on your communication skills and you're a two out of five on um, getting the work done. You know, nobody likes that. Uh, and we've always endorsed um, in the moment conversations that they need to happen. If something's going on, it needs to, a conversation needs to happen within 24 hours, not, you know, wait, wait six months and put it on the review as a, ha gotcha. <laughs> so, um, so the UMAP is part of that, and and I know my own team in our, in our our business operations at the uh, uh, organization we use the UMAP, and it's done wonder wonders for us. And there's such a relief when you tell people that we don't have performance reviews, we have crucial conversations. So thank you for doing that. You, you've helped our organization, <laughs> and I'm sure you're helping uh, hundreds more. Well, it's interesting, you know, we, we we changed it from that, like you said, the performance review, oh, you know, a big deal of hijack, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, or they they just come in and go, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, I just want to know how much more money you're going to give me this year. So we changed it to that, you know, quarterly conversation. We started to learn that it doesn't take place in the CEO's office, that you do it somewhere neutral ground. Um, we, we talk about the idea of radical candor. This idea that if I really care about you, 
and you know why, what my uh, intent is behind sharing these things, that it will benefit the relationship. So to say, you know, um, you say, um, um, too many times when you talk, you need to really think about that when you're presenting. And you can tell somebody that instead of, you know, I, I'm just going to walk around this elephant in the room. I can just have this radical candor. And that is the kind of stuff that we've been able to introduce. So the UMAP, for those who aren't aware, you know, it's a very graphical depiction of me as an individual and all my hopes and dreams and my family and my likes and dislikes and goals to compared to what the company needs for me on the other side. And so for us to touch base on a quarterly basis with our people and understand both sides and the dynamics that are changing, because we're adjusting based on their family interests and their needs, their goals, and then we're also adjusting based on the industry, the amount of work we have, the where they're at in their individual development plan. And we get to have this really rich conversation that isn't based on, it's not a pay review time, it's I just want to reconnect with you in a really meaningful way so that you can be a highly engaged employee who feels highly regarded, respected, and understood as a person as well. And so, again, building culture takes time, but that old, you know, you talked about that annual performance review. Oh my gosh, how many managers just like, oh, it's June, I got to do 20 reviews. <laughs> and they just pound through them, they're meaningless. And then you yeah. talked about giving somebody two out of five, I go, most of our people are wusses. They don't want they don't want to say anything <laughs> negative. So it's like I'll give you a four and a half out of five. Because I don't want to hurt I don't like conflict, so I'm just gonna tell you what you want to hear, right? So we've landed on something that's much more beneficial long term. Yeah, and I I feel and I not everyone feels this way, but I feel that be having radical candor in the moment is a way of caring for someone. It's a way of respecting them uh, versus huddling up after the meeting saying, can you believe she said that? You know, that creates angst and gossip and negativity. So, you know, radical candor is um, almost uh, going against human nature. A lot of the things that you do in your organization is going up against human nature. So we have a long ways to go with that and people being transparent and vulnerable and saying what they think in the moment instead of holding it on and being angry about it or gossiping about it um, afterwards. So it, it's work to be done and I'm trying to champion that with all the best and brightest, but also within our own team as well. It's it's a lot of work. I think that's the next evolution for CEOs and leaders is to get to that point within our culture. So thank you for your leadership there. Um, now you said, um, you mentioned before, scary CEOs and people sometimes get scared by the title and they operate within human nature to be scared of supervisors and whatnot. So let's demystify you a little bit. Um, I know you you did that Harvard executive program, which is so fun and so intriguing. Um, I also know that you run marathons. And I think you told me you ran the New York City Marathon and, and you were injured, correct? Tell people that story. Well, I was I was training for the New York City Marathon, which is uh takes about three years to get in. It's a lottery system. And I got accepted, and my brother and I both uh, run these uh, destination marathons together. We try to do at least one a year. And so we got in, uh, we booked a beautiful room that was facing the, the uh, uh, Central Park right where the finish line is. We bought our tickets, we had our entry fee. So we're, we're into this thing a couple thousand dollars. I'm into six months of training. I'm running 20 mile runs, 22 mile runs on Saturdays each week, 
getting ready for this thing. And I'm out for a run about four weeks before the marathon. And I'm running out Millennium Park out in uh, Grand Rapids area. And uh, in at five o'clock in the morning, and I land on a, I don't know what it was, a walnut or something big round, like felt like a golf ball, but, and I broke my number five metatarsal on my foot. So my outside foot bone, I broke it. Uh, and I couldn't even, it took me like 45 minutes to walk a, a mile home. Um, I, I had a speaking engagement in Panama uh, City uh, that, that day I was leaving for. I walked through an airport um, for three days. I walked on a broken foot thinking I just sprained it. But I found out within about three, three or four days later, I broke it. Um, I said to the doc, you know, what, what, what do I got to do? I got a marathon in four weeks ago. I'm going to run a marathon. He goes, we could probably do surgery on it and put a, a screw in it. Maybe you'd be able to do it. He said, you're nuts if you think you're good. I said, well, let's try it because I got a lot invested in this. So I had the surgery. I got a screw put in it. I couldn't put any weight on it for three weeks. I had one week before the marathon. He asked me to, you know, just try it out on a treadmill. I ran seven miles on a treadmill and it felt like I had a roll of quarters in my shoe. Struck. But you know what? I think I'm just dumb or I just like I can't say no. And so I said to my brother, I go, I'm going. We already paid for it. If I walk the distance, I'll do what I have to do. But I ended up I ended up running it. Um I did reasonable with my time and I crossed the finish line. I it just it's a it's a sign of human spirit and and uh you know when we put our minds to something, we can make it happen. But I also tell I doctor friends who say I'm an idiot so you know I got that <laughs> well you'll know when it starts hurting when it rains but uh tell me this tell me this are you still running I am you know what I uh I got accepted to well we I ran the Berlin Marathon last year and then I got accepted my brother and I got accepted to London in October but my um one of my uh, twins older kids one's getting married in June the other one's getting married in September late September so I can't do it. So I may have to come over by you and uh, run the, uh, the Detroit Marathon, I think, this year. I'd love to have you. I'll ride my bike next to you. How's that? <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll be going really slow on your bike. This, this old body's not getting any faster. <laughs> oh, gosh. Are you, are now, walk us through um, how you de-stress. Is running part of your de-stressing? Do you get up in the morning and go for a run every day? Or how does that uh, work? I, I do. I'm not on a schedule for training right now because I haven't committed to the next one. But, um, you know, distressing for me is doing things I love and running is one of those. Um, I love working with my hands. Um, I was helping my future son-in-law change uh, a wheel bearing on my daughter's car the other day. Um, I'm a carpenter by trade. Uh, I've built um, 20 houses over the years on uh, at night and weekends for myself and family and some specs. Uh, and I, I mean, electrical, ductwork, drywall, painting, I, I can do any of the trades myself. Um, now I, I'm having a house bill right now that uh, I'm just being the general contractor on, but th those are all things that are really good for me. Um, I think just taking moments um, to myself uh, is really important. So the idea of one day a month where you just disappear, uh, don't tell anybody. I know there's not many people listening right now, but probably every every other month, I'll go to a movie in the middle of the day. Good like, for you. Like 12, 31 o'clock showing, I'll get a bucket of popcorn and I'll watch Good a movie. And I'll have a bunch of guilt because I don't want to get caught, but I'm like, you know what? I need to just, you know, de-stress. 
and, and turn, so, and turn the brain off. That's very good advice for other people listening right now. And I actually give that advice when uh, someone on my team is going through something at home and they have a lot of stress at home and they have their, their job. I will literally say, take next Tuesday, take a couple hours or half a day or whatnot and go hide somewhere. I said, a movie theater is a great place because you forget everything for a little bit. It gives you that mindfulness that you need and then you can get back to it. That's great advice. Never be ashamed of that. That is fantastic. Well, the yeah. other the other one that I would share, and it's important to stay connected. I don't I don't want to be an empty nester and have my wife go, who are you, right? So working on my relationship as hard as I work on my business is important. So this idea that once a month we get together and do a couple's massage, a 90-minute massage. And it's just like so look forward to it. We always started at like noon and it's done by you know, 1.30, and it's just like this reprieve from the world. It's a little mini date during the day. It feels so incredibly good. And for the money, I, there isn't a, a better date that we look for, and we put it on the calendar. So it, it's just taking care of yourself. Also very good advice. All right, I got some rapid fires here. Your favorite yeah. band? My favorite band? I grew up with The Doors. Back in, you know, I was up in the 70s, but the 60s music was it. Anytime I hear one of those songs, I crank it up. There's still <laughs> bands now. But That's why you get pulled over by the police. All right. <laughs> favorite meal. What's your favorite favorite dish? Oh, I love a really good wood-fired pizza with artichoke, sun-dried tomato, and uh, mushroom. Oh. Sounds delish. Now that's vegetarian. Are you a vegetarian? I'm not. I, I but I, I eat chicken, fish, but I don't really eat red meat for the most part. Yeah, that's because you're an athlete. You got those marathons to run. Um, what's your mantra? Um, I like the uh, being award worthy uh, in all that I do, and that means uh, worthy of uh, Father of the Year, Husband of the Year, Employer of the Year, Neighbor of the Year, whatever it is. I love using that to vet my decision, you know, hey, the neighbor's trash can's rolling around in the in the street. Is that my job to do? You know what, if I'm worthy of neighbor of the year, I get out of my car and I take care of their trash can. So that's very wise, very wise. Couple more questions here. How do you define happiness? It is not, has nothing to do with money. I know that to be true. Um, I think happiness for me is seeing others thrive and I got to be a part of it. That's happiness for me. Um, happiness is when you're doing something joyfully and you lose track of time. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's those little moments in life where my wife and I look at each other as we see our child do something spectacular. And we look at each other and go, we did that. That is so cool. <laughs> Gives me great joy. But leaving a legacy. So tell me, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I like the the self the selflessness, but Mike's goal was to show up at a hundred percent and all that he did, that he kept his commitments and that he worked really hard in service to others to try and make the make in particular the 40-year journey that each of us would maybe have in the work uh, in a work experience to make that journey special for all. And if I can leave a mark in the world where um, businesses can can find a way to treat employees in a different way, where they thrive through 40 years instead of feeling like a you know a prison sentence um, that that they have joy through their their career, then I feel like I left a good legacy. 
Well, and that is why you are here with us today, sharing your knowledge, because others can glean so much from it. Mike, thank you so much for your leadership, for all that you do, not only for your team, but in the community, as well as sharing your knowledge with others. We can't thank you enough, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It was such an honor. I enjoyed it very much. All right. Now go run 20 miles. All right. Thank you, Mike. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, please take one of these things that Mike shared with us and apply it to your own work life, your own team, or your own personal life. Go have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye.